This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Democratic and Republican negotiators unveiled an outline of a $1.7 trillion spending package to fund the government through most of 2023 as another deadline to fund the federal government looms this Friday. What it means is it won't give McCarthy and company a chance to rewrite the budget, to have different priorities, to cut spending where it's necessary, to refund areas like the border, for example, which needs some additional funds. Meanwhile, the January 6th committee wrapped up its final meeting Monday, recommending four criminal charges against former President Donald Trump to the Justice Department, referring those. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Washington Examiner Chief Political Correspondent Byron York, Fox News political analyst Juan Williams, and Washington, D.C. political anchor and correspondent on Fox News audio platforms, Jared Halpern. Uh, Byron, the omnibus seems like uh, they're on the verge of potentially pushing this through, even though every moment that it's out there, uh, some lawmakers are finding some interesting things inside it. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't know until just a few minutes ago there are protections for the main lobster uh, industry. There are uh, cosmetics, the regulation of the cosmetics industry, a waiver for Boeing uh, to uh, certify new models of the 737. There's all sorts of stuff that you don't know about. And, you know, th this is Rand Paul's classic complaint. He says, every year, leadership goes in a room, and as, as Christmas approaches one, two, three days away, they come out with a 3,000-page bill, and they say, pass it right now. And it's a terrible way to do things. And in this case, a lot of the um, uh, urgency from Republican senators is they believe the House Republicans don't have their act together. So that if they don't pass this thing now, then there could be chaos in, uh, in uh, January if they're fighting over who's going to be the Speaker of the House. So that's where we are now. Yeah, Jared, it seems like uh, they may be on the cusp of getting the votes to push this through, but there may be some backlash to this for the new majority if they do. Well, it's been interesting to watch this dynamic between Senate Republicans and House Republicans uh, this week, because th there is a lot in this omnibus agreement 
that Republicans in the Senate like. They like that there's an increase in uh, defense spending. They like that it isn't paired using the old formula with non-defense spending. They uh, There has been bipartisan agreement on uh, the increase in aid for Ukraine. And so Mitch McConnell has spent a lot of time today and this week talking about all of the the wins that that Republicans got in, in this bill. And then uh, obviously it's been a totally different view of this from House Republican leadership. Now, obviously, it's a very different dynamic, right? Mitch McConnell is not vying for votes to remain uh, the top Republican in the Senate the way that Kevin McCarthy is uh, really uh, trying to, to get that 218 number that he needs to become Speaker of the House. And so all of these issues become much more magnified uh, for uh, Leader McCarthy, um, who frankly can't do a lot to stop this, right? If it passes the Senate this week, goes to the House, passes on a simple majority, uh, Republicans' hands, at least for a few more days here, are are kind of tied, which I understand is part of their complaints. But uh, to Byron's point, you know, we, we've heard from Senate uh, Republicans that, you know, it, it makes sense to do this. This was this Congress's job. We're going to get it done before this Congress ends. And there is a lot of uncertainty about what um, the House Republican uh, conference is going to look like uh, as we get into January and February. Juan, without regular order and a you know process that that really allows the thing to to dynamically develop, it is like cramming it all in at the end. Um, there are a number of lawmakers just in the past few minutes who noticed that there are four hundred. There's four hundred million dollar increase to Border Patrol. Uh, in this bill, but it prohibits that 400 million from being used to, quote, acquire, maintain or extend border security, tech and capabilities. Uh, at the same time, there's 410 million that goes to securing the borders of Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia and Oman. And so some of these representatives are saying, wait a second, what's what's going on with this bill? Well, I mean, you know, as they say, sausage making in Washington and you don't want to see it get done, although the sausage may tell you it's good ultimately. I, by the way, on the lobster deal, you guys must have missed the state dinner with French President <laughs> Macron. The uh, the main lobstermen were up in arms back then saying if uh, President Biden is a union guy, was why wasn't he standing with them and all the Whole Foods outlets that are now banning lobster because uh, it, it somehow endangers dolphins and whales. But on a serious note here, look, I think that what you've heard from Byron and, and, and Jared is right on target. I mean, this is about dysfunction in the Republican House caucus and their inability to get behind Kevin McCarthy uh, or his ability, if you want to look at it from another view, to get those five people who remain outside of him, uh, his support, and are pressuring him to agree that he will allow a vote on his standing as speaker uh, you know, at any objection. Uh, and that's the only basis in which they'll allow him to become the speaker. If you look at that, even among conservatives, they say this is dysfunctional. What is going on over there? And therefore, there's great worry about that caucus's ability to deliver a working budget that would keep the United States government and our economy functioning in the coming year. All right, we're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
Byron, meantime, the January 6th committee has wrapped up in its recommendations for four um, referrals to the Justice Department, criminal referrals uh, for former President Donald Trump, as well as some referrals to the Ethics Committee of lawmakers who refused to testify, testify even after a subpoena. Your thoughts on the, the committee and um, you know, what impact that potentially has? Well, in terms of the big picture, uh, for all 10 of the committee's episodes of the kind of miniseries that they put on, we, look, we did learn a lot from them uh, about what happened on January 6th in the Trump part of the story. We learned nothing about what happened, you know, in the Capitol Police part of the story, the intelligence part of the story. There's big parts of, of January 6th they didn't mention at all because they were totally fixated on Trump. But we did learn a, a good deal about what happened as far as Trump's concerned. And as far as the, the, the criminal referrals are concerned, I, a lot of people have pointed out, I think absolutely correctly, that they really don't mean anything. The Justice Department is conducting its own investigation. We know that of uh, January 6th. So these the, the only possibility that these criminal referrals will could could perform is that they might actually appear the, to make the Justice Department uh, investigation look a little political because Republicans or Trump might be able to say the Justice Department is doing this because Nancy Pelosi pushed them to. So uh, it, the ending doesn't really make a big difference, but we did learn a lot in the process. Yeah, and politically, Jared, it, it may have had a bigger impact impact than people thought uh, in the midterms, uh, as it laid out. You know, even though it was one sided and there was not not another uh, minority view, um, it did lay out for people to see uh, the TikTok of what was happening in front of the cameras and behind the scenes on that day. And that was clearly the goal of the committee, right? Was to show what was happening in real time, sort of as, you know, you see videos playing of the riot and, and sort of putting a side by side of, of logs of, of uh, President Trump at the time. I think that was a big part of, of uh, the presentation that, that the committee wanted to do. And so it is not surprising that they capstone this uh, uh, this month, year and a half long uh, investigation with uh, these referrals for for criminal uh, prosecution. I, I mean, you know, Byron's correct that the uh, the Justice Department does not need a, an invitation from a, a House panel to uh, to prosecute or not to prosecute. And it sounds like the investigations that are now being overseen by the uh, by the uh, special counsel uh, are pretty far afield anyway. That they have moved uh, moved along uh, at a pretty good pace. So I do think it'll be interesting to see what decisions are made and, and how closely they track or don't track with some of the uh, the findings here of the January 6th committee. Yeah, one, there is that sense that the special counsel is doing his own thing and, and really referrals or not, um, they're going to make their own decisions. Right, but I think that, uh, Brett, I think it was you made the point that the volume and uh, the public display of evidence of what happened on that day, January 6th, um, was pretty overwhelming and it created a show, uh, a show that allowed, in the opinion of lots of people, um, television to be used for the first time against Donald Trump, that people were able to see, Republican or Democrat, Trump supporter or Trump opponent, what happened and to hear testimony largely from other Republicans 
about his bad behavior, uh, potentially criminal behavior on that day. I don't know if in terms of the legal process, this advances the ball. I don't know. I would imagine that the Justice Department has more evidence than anything we've seen uh, publicly displayed by the people in the House on the House committee. But if they, in fact, decide to act, it's such a high bar. Um, you know, you're going to have to, if you're going to move against the president of the United States, you have to do so with tremendous confidence that you're going to get a conviction. Otherwise, you're wasting time and dividing the country all the more. So you need to have your case ironclad as you take that step, whether you're Merrick Garland, the attorney general, or the special counsel, Jack Smith. It's really now um, you're getting into politics very heavily. That's why Jack Smith exists as a special counsel, because Garland said, given that former President Trump has announced he is running and that it looks like current President Biden is running. Uh, he has to, you know, have clean hands. It can't appear that he's making a partisan decision to prosecute the former president. That makes America something like a third world madhouse, if that's what yeah. we're going to do to our political opponents. Right. But at the same time, Byron, we are getting more and more of these files from Twitter about the interaction between the social media company and the FBI. And some of it is kind of shocking that there are millions of dollars being paid by the FBI to Twitter and that the censorship of certain uh, different uh, sites or uh, handles uh, at the direction of the FBI and the handling of the Hunter Biden scandal in the story. It's almost as if, if, if you're going to say you're trying not to be political in that sense, if you look back at at least what we've seen so far, it sure seemed political in 2020. It did, and, and I was pretty troubled by it. I have to say this, this seventh batch of Twitter uh, releases that we've gotten, it really is the most troubling because it shines the most light on the FBI. And I think it was clear early on that the Twitter story was really an FBI story. Uh, but I think what we've seen in the, in the latest uh, releases is the degree to which the FBI was directing Twitter, was kind of pushing it in the direction uh, in, in the months before the 2020 election, uh, pushing it in the direction so that Twitter would censor information that the FBI wanted it to censor. And the FBI had prepared uh, Twitter executives. They had been saying, you know, we're on the lookout for Russian disinformation. And Twitter was saying, you know, we're really not seeing all that much of it. We're not really. And they say, be on the lookout. There could be something involving Hunter Biden and you need this is exactly what the, the Russian disinformation intelligence services do so that on October 14th, 2020, when the New York Post publishes its Hunter Biden story, which was accurate, uh, Yoel Roth, who was the chief censor at uh, Twitter, said, wow, this this looks to be exactly what the FBI told us about. And he proceeded to censor this. And I have to say, I thought early on in the releases, Roth seemed kind of like the villain here. Uh, and now it appears to me that the FBI is manipulating him to do what they want. And since the FBI is a government law enforcement agency, that's a really troubling state of affairs.
But Jared, I mean, it's important to point out this is an FBI under Chris Ray, who was appointed or nominated by uh, President Trump. And so it fits into this thought process that there is this other kind of level of government that goes beyond the administration. And it fits into conspiracy theories in real time if you look at some of these Twitter filed documents. I mean, conspiracy theory or not, I think obviously, you know, administrations have talked a lot. Presidents have talked a lot about wanting the uh, FBI to be independent. And maybe that's what, what was at play here. What I am curious to see play out of all of this is, as you know, Brett, there has been some pretty bipartisan calls for a reform for how tech companies operate, the uh, the influence that tech companies have. Um, how they're regulated, how content is moderated. And you wonder now with the release of of these Twitter files and sort of the hyper-partisan nature that they have taken, at least in some circles, what the prospects uh, are in the next Congress for some of the serious um, uh, reining in of tech that, that we've heard a lot of lawmakers talk about over the last uh, really three or four years. Yeah. One last thing here. I mean, you have to admit that the coverage of this stuff that's coming out is pretty one-sided. I mean, it's just they're not getting covered, despite the fact that this these are revelations that should trouble a lot of people. Well, you know, on, on a large scale, I disagree. I mean, I think that what we've got here is a situation where Elon Musk sank, you know, billions of dollars into Twitter. He has... I think, run the whole thing into the ground. It used to be about news people like all of us here would refer to Twitter to see what was going on here, the latest leaks about news events. Now it's just Elon Musk and his critics taking shots at each other. It really, I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, with regard to the FBI and social control, I think one thing to understand here is given what we had seen in the 2016 election, I think every national security agency, including the FBI, had an important role to play in saying we are going to try and stop foreign government interference or influence in our election process. Now, it may have been taken out of line in some cases like the Hunter Biden story in the New York Post. But again, sitting here, Monday morning quarterbacking, yes, okay, that was a mistake. Is that evidence of big government engaged in a conspiracy with big media. I think it's a stretch, but it's a concern. But Elon Musk, that story, Brett, I think the reason it gets less coverage is I think people see it more as Elon Musk trying to get attention for himself and a failing, flailing Twitter uh, as a business uh, than it is about whether or not they were influenced by the government. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. However, for the longest time, when when conservatives brought up uh, that they felt like they were being censored or shadow banned or something on social media, um, the left said, you're just making all of this up. It's not true. And then testimony on Capitol Hill said, no, we don't do that. And yet these documents clearly say that they were doing that. And there was this kind of... Uh, you know, synergy between those two. 
We're going to follow it either way. And uh, panel, we appreciate it. a little bit of history. Now, on December 20th, 1860, South Carolina became the first state to secede from the Union following the election of President Abraham Lincoln. President Lincoln did not receive a single vote for president in South Carolina, not a single one, as those across the South knew the election signaled the formation of a new nation. Within three months of President Lincoln's election, seven Southern states had seceded from the Union. On April 12th, 1861, the first shots of the war were fired at Fort Sumter in South Carolina's Charleston Harbor. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Byron, Jared, and Juan, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.